Polyphonic Press, the podcast where two music fans pick a classic album completely at random. Using the patented random album generator, they are given an album to review from a curated list of over 1,000 classic releases, spanning multiple genres. And now onto the show. Here are your hosts, Jeremy Boyd and John Van Dyke. Hey, welcome to Polyphonic Press. I'm Jeremy Boyd. And I'm John Van Dyke. And uh, let's not waste any time. We've got the patented random album generator right in front of us here. Uh, so let's hit the button and see what album we're going to be listening to this week. Well, we never waste time. Never waste time. All right, and the album we're going to be listening to is The Who, My Generation. Okay, so we're going back to mid-60s here. We are. But so let's uh, see what it says on allmusic.com. It says, An explosive debut and the hardest mod pop recorded by anyone. At the time of its release, it also had the most ferociously powerful guitars and drums yet captured on a rock record. Pete Townsend's exhilarating chord crunches and guitar distortions threatened, the leap off, threatened to leap off the grooves on my generation and out in the street. Keith Moon attacks the drums with a lightning, ruthless finesse throughout. Some maximum R&B influence lingered in the two James Brown covers, but much of Townsend's original material fused Beatlesque hooks and power chords with anthemic mod lyrics, with The Goods Gone, Much Too Much, La 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 Lies, and especially The Kids Are Alright being highlights. A legal matter hinted at uh, more ambitious lyrical concerns, and The Ox was instrumental mayhem that pushed the envelope of 1965 amplification with its guitar feedback and non-stop crashing r- drum rolls. While the execution was sometimes crude and the songwriting was not as sophisticated as it would shortly become, The Who never surpassed the pure energy level of this record. Yes, it's the original uh, 1965 track listing. So it, there's 12 songs and it's split evenly, six and six. So if you're listening along, uh, the album will start uh, out on the song Out on the Street and it'll end on the title track, My Generation. Uh, that's, that's side one and we'll stop halfway through and, you know, discuss and, uh, dissect the first side of the album. And I think we're pretty much ready. Here we go. Here is the first song on the album called Out on the Street. Okay, ending side one with the title track, and probably their their signature song, I would say, is My Generation. It, it's their signature song for uh, a certain time period of The Who, anyway. Their, their 60s stuff is probably, that's like the song. So, And it's funny, they used to close every show with that song, and it would end in Pete and Keith destroying their instruments. And, uh, yeah, many guitars were, uh, sacrificed in the name of their generation. <laughs> yes. Um, I still love the, uh, Smothers Brothers episode that they appeared on that. That's just class. That's one of my favorite clips of, on, on YouTube is, is just that their performance for one thing. It, um, uh, 
John Ed Whistle's playing is like on point. I mean, I can't believe what he's doing with his fingers. Um, but yeah, when chaos just breaks out, it's just completely ridiculous. And then hearing about the backstory behind it. Yeah. If you don't know the backstory, basically, uh, what happened was they, it was, I think it was their first time on American television and they wanted to make a big impression. And so they were going to play two songs. I can't remember what the first song was. I think it was, I can see for miles maybe, but, um, Anyway, the, the 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 other song was My Generation, and th- they wanted to have some pyrotechnics to sort of, you know, have some smoke and have some explosions go off and and just like have a big, you know, finale to the to the whole thing. And in rehearsal, what they did was it it went off pretty good, but it the uh, the explosion wasn't quite up to Keith Moon's standards. <laughs> the the special the, the effects guy said okay we'll we'll make it bigger so he puts a little more gunpowder or whatever in the explosive and th- they all you know break for lunch or whatever and while they're on break keith moon walks over to his that's the thing is he he was supposed to trigger the the explosion with a with it it was like a foot pedal so he was supposed to trigger it with his foot and it was supposed to make this big thing while he's while everybody's at dinner or lunch or whatever he goes and puts more gunpowder in it and um and so yeah it's it's everything's cool they do the song and at the end of it it's this huge boom it's it, the biggest explosion i i i'm sure pieces every, of drum kit go flying everything goes <laughs> flying um uh pete Townsend's haircuts is on fire. He basically went almost deaf in one ear. It's really what caused his his hearing loss, or at least it's partly responsible for it. And um, yeah, I don't know if they actually got in trouble for that or if there was anything that came of that, but... I don't know, but <clears throat> maybe we should link the uh, clip because it's just so fantastic. But uh, even after the big explosion... <laughs> Um, Pete Townsend still <laughs> smashing up his guitar and then he goes and grabs Tommy Smothers' guitar <laughs> and starts to smash it too. <laughs> and I think I heard that uh, there were other like guests in the audience for that. So I think it was like Doris Day was knocked on her ass or something like that. And Mickey Rooney's cheering on like, yeah, this is the greatest thing he's ever seen. Yeah, no, it was, it's pretty great. And if you get a chance to check it out on, on YouTube, because it's, it's so, I mean, I don't, you couldn't get away with that today. There would be so many safety rules and stuff, but. Well, I don't think you were really able to get away with it then either. No, probably not. (laughs) No, it just happened. You know, I mean, the Who are an interesting band and I know we'll get into more of their stuff because there's a few of their albums on on here but i mean this it's interesting to hear where they started out it's uh you know keith moon's drumming is not what i'm used to really it's very straight you know it's pretty or for keith moon anyway it's pretty straight um except on my generation where he kind of lets loose but uh no but i mean even early on they were a really good band oh yeah well i one thing i can say about uh like the rhythm section it's uh i mean where's Keith is playing more straightforward. He's still hitting harder than like other 
like, I don't know, rhythm and blues or mod acts of the time. I noticed that, like, even in, like, uh, their cover of I Don't Mind, is he's drowning out the singer a little. But, uh, yeah, I noticed that uh, he's still playing pretty hard. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit more straightforward. But that's sort of what you would maybe expect from their first album. That is true. Yeah, yeah. He uh, and And then you got John Entwistle, who's always coming up with these really incredible incredibly complex bass lines and even here on my generation like the bass line is it's not like you, you it's not what you expect yeah yeah because uh pete's largely not entirely but largely a, um, a rhythm player um he doesn't play lead much but i noticed in a couple of things he, he did and and uh and he's not bad he's a pretty good guitar player i mean he towns it he's a pretty good guitar player <laughs> um but uh yeah it's it's generally uh john entwistle that uh is uh carrying the melody in a lot of cases it's just a really low down me- melody because it's on a bass that and roger daltrey singing well that's the other thing roger daltrey has a really unique voice i always liked his voice i i like i think he's a really good singer um and he i don't you know everybody uh there's it's interesting because he you always know it's him he he's not one of those singers that like he but no i mean i mean nobody else sounds like him like he doesn't have any imitators there's a lot of it was something about that period of music and there's very few copycat singers it's just it's like everybody was unique. I mean, you can't. Robert Plant, nobody sounds like him. Um, Jimi Hendrix, even when he's singing, he, nobody sounds like him. It's just everybody sounded like they're themselves. They didn't have to. There wasn't like a trope that everybody was following. All those elements, they're not quite as fleshed out as they would become, you know, later on in their career. But they're there. The germ, the idea, the seeds are there. And they're just starting to grow and it's uh it's really cool to hear to to hear the progression and this is like oh this is where the, all that started in terms of their their sound um because i mean this out like they early on they were you were talking about like they each um each band like has a unique yes but i feel like here they really are sort of trying to fit into the lane of you know rock and roll r&b sort of stuff Whereas later on, like on Tommy and then like Who's Next and on, and those later albums, that's when they really became their own thing. And here, it's really good. This is really good. And they're still very unique and distinct, but they're still, they haven't quite found their unique sound. Yeah. If that makes sense. It's they're still doing something very similar to say what the Small Faces were doing and other bands like that. I mean, it was... I. I guess that's just what sort of mod rock was. Um, but uh, yeah, they still, I can definitely tell the, these other bands apart. We'll um, move on to the next uh, side of the album, the second side. Uh, there's lots more where this came from. So here we go. Here it's the uh, uh, first song on the second side called, and this is a song uh, I know, at least um, another one of their more popular songs called uh, The Kids Are All Right. All right, and ending the album there with The Ox. Uh, very cool instrumental thing going on there. Yeah. yeah. 
That's where uh, John Entwistle got his nickname. Uh, and by the way, that was uh, on the piano. Uh, Nick, Nicky, Nick, Hopkins. Nicky Hopkins. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he contributed quite a lot to carrying uh, melodies as well on, on their studio recordings, especially in the early years. Yeah. And he, pl- he played on a lot of people's records. He played, um, he, I think he's mostly known for like the Rolling Stones playing with them. Yeah. Rolling Stones, uh, the Jeff Beck group. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. I really like this album. Um, it's cool to, I've always been a fan of the who I never heard, listened to this album front to back. Uh, but yeah, I, this is, um, this is a, a great, I don't, I wouldn't say it's their best album or it's not even my favorite album of theirs, but it's, it's a really solid album and it's a really solid debut album for any band. It's a really solid debut album and for well considering even like the the structure of the album back in the mid 60s when it came to rock albums it was still a little bit kind of they were still mostly just a collection of songs and stuff like that to have a cohesive album was actually a little bit i mean i think the beatles uh, revolver kind of or not revolver uh, rubber soul kind of started that um so yeah and this one is uh it, it's pretty good for its uh for its time for sure yeah uh, yeah, you're right. It, it really is just like a, a collection of songs. The other thing, too, in those days, it was not common to have singles on on albums, uh, but they might be the first to have the album centered around a single because my generation was released as a single and it's on the album and it's the title of the album. This might be the first instance of an album being centered around one song that being the focal point yeah maybe and it's sort of uh it's not necessarily a concept album or anything like that but most of the songs seem to be they almost seem like extensions of that of that thought that uh, idea yeah it's like the first album with a title track I'd also like to point out that uh, the intro to Illegal Matter, you can really hear where the jam got a lot of their um, sound from. Yeah, this this influenced a lot of a lot of stuff. A lot of that mod. Well, I guess the jam were sort of a mod band in. Yeah, in, sort of a mod revival, late seventies into the eighties. Yeah, and um, yeah, and I mean this. I mean, yeah, at this time, Pete Townsend was playing a Rickenbacker, so it had sort of that almost jangly sort of thing. You know, it's funny. It's like they they started out as like a mod band, but really never really stuck to that. Like they they didn't really, they weren't pigeonholed into that. No, they weren't. You know, Oddly enough, like they embraced it, but they weren't pigeonholed. Yeah. Somehow, I guess they just uh, their sound changed so much they couldn't possibly be pigeonholed or something like that. I don't know, but uh, yeah, no, they they were um, they were definitely an interesting band, and so like you think about like the British British invasion bands, and again it goes back to what we were talking about, like the the big I always in my mind the big three are the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, and the Who, and three very different bands from each other just in terms of presentation like the the Beatles all like in the early days they all wore suits and they all you know they wrote all their songs Rolling Stones uh and they all played instruments there's four of them Rolling Stones there's five of them two guitar players bass player drummer and a singer that doesn't play an instrument and and then there's the Who with their a four piece but just one guitar player one bass player a drummer and also a singer that doesn't play an instrument and three very different bands three very different sounds and it's interesting that like we always hear and we always talk about 
how the Beatles, when they came to America, really sort of took over. But I think there's a broader picture in like the British invasion in terms of like, okay, well, and America's saying, well, what else have you got? You know? Yeah, exactly. You know, and that... No, that did happen. Like the way I always say it is like, there was an awakening on the Ed Sullivan show and a bunch of kids were suddenly watching. Whereas, you know, before they were watching like Elvis movies where he would suddenly be singing to a backing track and something. And sure, yeah, he was the biggest thing at the time. Mm-hmm. But I think for a lot of people, seeing the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show was the first time they saw a band actually just, you know, on TV, like showing, oh, look, they're making all that noise by themselves. And and then that opened up the rest of the British invasion. And, and that's why there's like so many bands from that period. So many of them. And, you know, it's funny. I know we talk about them. Uh, about about it a lot but uh one thing that's what uh tom petty was was saying like when he was like really young he met elvis so i think he was like 10 years old and he became obsessed with elvis and just bought got all of his records and everything and and was obsessed with that but he never he just loved listening to it but when he was like 13 or 14 the beatles came on ed sullivan and in his in his seeing the guys play the instruments he thought oh i could do this yeah exactly that's what i'm thinking it's just that's ha- that happened to a lot of people it was just the first time that it, it, it didn't some of the mysticism was taken away from it and you were just presented with the reality of just four guys playing mu- instruments i think what happens maybe at least a little bit is if you're th- thinking in terms of western music like obviously american music influenced these british bands and then the british bands influenced the next generation of american bands and then and then the influence keeps going back and forth back and forth and at least for a little bit it did whether i I mean it it goes back and forth but it's but it's certainly about by the mid 70s, it's getting very muddy. Like the back and forth is they're passing each other. <laughs> so, you know, there's there's good stuff coming out of, uh, you know, and, and let's not forget that it, it happened in Europe and, and the rest of uh, a lot of places in the world. I mean, it happened all over in Asia. There's so many bands that really took off after rock and roll and South America and stuff like that. Most of these bands are like completely obscure, but they're out there and they're some of them are better than others and they're you know there's good stuff it's uh but it just goes to show how far reaching like this really this this movement was it's a worldwide movement it, yeah it, it it's it's really you're right it's an it's a world worldwide thing and and you're right i mean it it really opened the floodgates i mean this was really a, a an interesting time i wish i Almost wish I could have been there to to witness it. Part of me wishes I could. Yeah, but I mean, this album and this album really fits in. Is just right in the right time for all of that. Um, it's it. You know, the other thing, the other unique thing, or not unique, but the other thing that a lot of bands weren't doing is writing their own songs at this time. I mean, the Rolling Stones' first couple albums are mostly covers. Uh, there's well, they had like. They had a back catalog of they were a blues band. They had a back catalog of blues albums and records and stuff like that to 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 go from. Um, yeah, they they could they went quite a while. Um, they could go for quite a while for without you know writing their own stuff. But eventually, they decided to write their own stuff. And you know these 
I mean, Pete Townsend, he's writing all the all the songs, including the lyrics. I don't think he gets enough credit as a songwriter. Maybe he does. I don't know. But he he I, I don't think a lot of people realize that he's writing all the songs. He's writing all the lyrics and the music. It's you. It's not usual for the sort of non-lead singer of the band to be writing all the lyrics. I think it's more common than you realize, but most people assume because the the singer is singing it. Um, but uh, in a lot of cases, yes, it's the lead singer who's writing and then singing. But uh, yeah, this it happens in a lot of cases, especially with bands that have more than one writer. Um, quite often, somebody else in the band is writing a song, and then. Uh, you know, I guess the idea of the singer singing their own song sort of comes from the Beatles, whereas it's kind of like a rule in the Beatles. You write a song, you sing it. Um, I don't know of too many um, exceptions to that rule in the Beatles. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, he's he's writing all the songs and you're right. I mean, people people don't just because like the singer singing the song, they assume that's He's the one that, that wrote it. And I think you're right. I think the Beatles sort of set that idea in people's minds. So, yeah, I mean, but I really enjoyed this album. This was a fun listen for me. I think I know the answer, but I have to ask anyway. Uh, would you listen to this again? Oh, yeah, I think I'd listen to this again. Yeah, in fact, I'm. Yeah, I mean, and 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 it makes me want to listen to some of their other albums from this period as well. So you know, it's it's it awakens that part of me that just loves this period of time in, in music history. It's just I just love this period, 60s and early 70s, the mod and psychedelic and you know proto punk, proto metal stuff. You know when everything was still just rock and roll and hadn't really turned into anything else. Uh, before the genres took over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I like this era too, and this was a fun listen for me. And yeah, I think it's it's sort of gotten me into that mindset too of that 60s, 70s sort of period, uh, definitely. So uh, yeah, I mean, this is just a, a really cool album. Uh, so yeah, I guess we'll end the uh, the show there. Uh, thank you so much for listening if you made it this far. Uh, we want to hear from you, uh, whether you agree or disagree with our review of this album. Uh, you can always reach out to us. Oh, no, by- shite! <laughs> you can uh, always reach out to us by going to the contact page of our website, uh, polyphonicpress.com. And while you're there, you can check out previous episodes. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do that by going to buymeacoffee.com slash polyphonicpress. Uh, it's really easy. You don't need to sign up for anything. And all those links are in the show notes. And I think that just about does it. Uh, I'm Jeremy Boyd. And I'm John Van Dyke. Take it easy. <laughs>